Hello, I'm, I am Natalie Haynes. Would you please welcome my lovely guest, Mr. Giles Brandreth. Yay! <laughs> wow, literally the only person who cheered was Giles. Language is power. Emojis, slang, the subjunctive mood, your mood, my mood, all colour our words with meaning. Interested? Then you're in the right place. I'm Giles Brandreth and welcome to the Have You Eaten Grandma podcast. Hello, I'm Natalie Haynes, and I am talking to my lovely friend Giles Brandreth about his excellent book. I can't remember what it's called, Giles. Could you remind me? I can remind you what it's called. Thank it's you. called Have You Eaten Grandma? And it's both a celebration of the English language and a guidebook because there are people who actually, you know, want to know about the English language. They want to know why, like, does everyone keep saying like? Why do apostrophes keep turning up in the wrong place? Why do we get confused when using foreign phrases and vice versa? That's um, what it's about. So it's a guidebook to English as it is used and as it should be used. But you may think, who am I to pronounce on how it should be used? Well, in a sense, what I'm trying to do in the book is provide a guide, a set of rules, like people want to play football. Well, this is how linguistic football is played if you want correct usage. But of course, we can do our own things. You have done your own things. You've invented a word for this very programme. Slanguage. 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 I love slanguage. I love slang, curiously. Uh, I, I don't like lazy language, but I think slanguage can be rich. The American poet Carl Sandburg used to say that lang- slang is the language that rolls up its sleeves, spits on its hands, and goes to work. <laughs> and I love slang and slanguage because it, if you like the sound of words, it's like dipping into something new and surprising, and you can't quite understand it, but getting to know it is exhilarating. And curiously, there are other languages, ancient languages, that are like languages to us now. I say that because who do I see with us but my young friend Ben Crystal. This is even by your standards, Giles, a magnificent link. Because when he was last <laughs> podding with us in podcast country... Yes, that's exactly what he was doing with us. We, he was disappointed we didn't ask him to speak some Chaucer because... We were celebrating the language of Chaucer, and I was trying to persuade someone to speak some Chaucer because you don't necessarily understand it written on the page, but when you hear it, you sort of do. One at April with his Jorasotter, ah. with the drochter of Matcha hath perched to the rotter. Go on. Well, he goes on for about another four years. I mean, <laughs> I, the, well, she'll start yipping me. I mean, I, Why do we still love that? We love the sound of that, don't we? Even if we don't understand it. What is the magic of Chaucer? Gosh, what is what is the magic of Chaucer, Jill? Well, that that's the hard concept. Jill Taylor, there, editor it? and medievalist and Chaucer fan. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I just slipped away from that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Smoothly done, Crystal. Thank you. Uh, but isn't isn't it? It's those lovely hard consonants where it kind of rolls across the tongue. <laughs> Are we back to euphemism? No, no, we're not. No. What I'm, re- what I'm, what I'm wanting to establish them. is that actually the sound of words is attractive. Do you um, know who could help us with that? Yeah. I, I'll tell you who could help us with that. It's only Mark Gris, battle rapper. Yay! He could help us with that. He knows about the sound of words. Yeah, I suppose I do know about the sound of words. Yeah, when you're writing kind of battle bars, when you're writing kind of rap content, you have to listen. You're listening to vowel sounds particularly, and you're listening to how things kind of bounce around. So, yeah, I, I got used to that. Kind of growing up, I grew up on the Shetland Islands. We had we had some local slang in Wait, the Shetland Islands. Sorry, is there battle rap on the Shetland Islands? <laughs> There's not. I am probably the only ever battle rap. But yeah, yeah, growing up on the Sh- on on Unst, I think uh, you get used to a lot of kind of slang because there's loads of things that you would name. We had a uh, the Bonksies 
on our island. Who do the what now? The bonksies. They were a great skewer, the largest, uh, one of the largest seabirds you can get, one of the least evolved seabirds ever. They can't make nests. They would kind of lay these eggs on the ground. And the bonksies were really famous on our island because it's one of the few places in the world you would get these, um, these birds because they had no way of defending their eggs or protecting them apart from diving down and trying to headbutt you. Got you. So we called them the Bonksies. And so have you written battle raps about seabirds? Uh, I haven't written battle raps about seabirds. What is a battle rap? Okay, so a battle rap is when, um, basically um, it's two MCs face each other, you get a set amount of time and you take in turns to box each other with. Like, can you give us an example? I, I can give you an example. Um, I can give, I'm trying to think what I can say that's gonna be okay. Um, it's gonna be okay. Well, okay, so I started out, I started out battling, um, trying to battle with univocalisms. I was interested in, as a form of poetry uh, where you're only allowed to use one type of vowel. Okay. Um, so I thought I'd try and go into nightclubs and battle uh, MCs with one vowel. So I battled a guy called Moss Prob, uh, and so it was O, so I was kind of like, Moss Prob, don't look so good, Moss Prob, not from no hood, Moss Prob from Posh Stock, Tory Boy, Crotch Dog, Hobnobs for low props, Rock Socks, Boom Boots, Crops Top, Bops to Mob, Moba, Moby, Bros, Bono only slowly, so Moss Prob's moobs do bob so grossly, like you kind of go through like the aim of a rap battle is to like elevate your status by trying to do things with the language they can't do, whilst also trying to land punches. And, I literally and, uh, only know this from Hamilton. I'm just throwing <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got nothing yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> I wonder which covenant battle this is. What Josh was saying about taking the the enjoyment from the sounds and and uh, you know we spend a lot of time in in the theatre talking about giving words the colour that they should have. So the word majesty should sound like majesty, you know, like a great throne room. But the point is that when you start speaking these original works in the accent that the author was writing in, they must have been tuning themselves to the kind of language play that you're doing and, and using the sounds of the language at the same time as the words of the language and combining them all together to, well, beat or battle or whatever. Can I give you the science of this? Because I'm what, what we're discovering does. is true and it's fundamental to our use of language. I recently met, because of working on this book, Happy Weekend Grandma, a remarkable person uh, who is the, who's called Professor Usha Goswami. And she is a professor at Cambridge University, and she runs the Department of Neuroscience and Education and the Memory Lab. And she essentially is working with babies and children on sounds, words, and how they hear them and how they absorb them. And she's measuring with electrodes on the heads of these babies and toddlers how they're receiving them and the brain waves that are being sent inside the head. And eventually her work is going to lead incredibly, I think, and she believes it to possibly to a cure for dyslexia. Huh. That's the serious That's side of it. Pretty cool. But the real discovery is this, that fundamentally we... If you talk to your baby, if you sing to your baby, if you tell nursery rhymes or poems to your baby, or even if you speak Shakespeare to your baby, the, the beat of the heart is the rhythm that the ambic pentameter that Shakespeare uses is one of the first rhythms that a baby picks up. I interviewed Dame Judi Dench, and she told me that she, I said, what was your first poem that you can remember? And she gave me a Shakespearean song. I said, no, no, I mean when you were three or four. She gave me a Shakespearean song. I said, I'm sorry, I mean, you know, Jack and Jill or uh, Christopher Robin went down. And he, she said, no, I'm giving it to you. And I said, I don't believe you. And then I went to see this Professor Goswami. She said, it's perfectly true. Uh, Judy Dench was brought up in a family where her older brother was an actor called Geoffrey Dench. And he wanted to be an actor, knew lots of Shakespeare. 
And Judy Dench, aged three and four, listen to this, and she still, aged 84, can give you virtually every Shakespeare sonnet. She can recite the whole of Twelfth Night and the whole of Midsummer Night's Dream learnt by heart before she was 10 years of age. She didn't know what the words meant, but the rhythm of it, mm. the sound of it, meant something to her. And if you are a potential young parent listening to this, this could change the life of your child. Because essentially, if you read poetry, nursery rhymes, things that are rhythm, rap to them, if you give them words and language before they're born, and as they, as it were, begin their life, they will be able to speak better and more quickly, read better, and write better. It is now measurable. It's absolutely true. My father would say, um, from six months in the womb onwards, anything that you play, anything that you read, the sound of the voice and everything else will be perfectly uh, understandable. Well, not perfectly, but understandable. You know, the, the, the babe, the, the fetus will tune in. Um, when I, this sounds like a terrible, oh God, I'm actually saying the words. When I played Hamlet, Oh. Um, <laughs> but but you don't often hear the, the following phrase in Reno, Nevada. Hey. <laughs> no one saw that coming. No, no neither did I, honestly. Um, the uh, Gertrude was uh, eight months pregnant when we started rehearsals, and by the time we started performing, was nine months pregnant by the time we started rehearsals. And we didn't weren't sure if she was going to get to the end of the of uh, any show, of, of any <laughs> of even the thing. And, um, and, you know, after all of that, you know, Diggory came out uh, ginger. <laughs> That's well, it's gonna, joke's going uh, to work say, so well. When, when, I, when I played Hamlet, yes, <laughs> was not so successful. The audience actually threw eggs at me. So it went, went on as Hamlet, came off as omelette. He's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Brother. So can I try and steer us back yeah. via the mechanism of Shakespeare, who was of course a big fan of it, to slang. Remember yeah. slang we were talking about? We about are talking ago? about slang. Um, hour, hour and a half. Basically like what I'm saying is that I want to embrace language and people say, oh, you promote correct English. You're, you know, your have you eaten grandma is all about using proper punctuation, how to spell correctly. It's actually about the nuts and bolts of grammar. Yes, but it's also, uh, knowing the rules is fundamental. Once you know them, you can break them. That was my next question. And you, do you have to know the rules to break them? Yeah, okay. I, I think you do. I, I mean, I think you do. I mean, it's like playing football. You know, you've got to play, you've got to be able to play the game. Kids don't mind learning the rules of football. They're happy to. Therefore, they, I think they should be happy to learn how to spell, how to, you know, speak, uh, how to use the language correctly. Then you can do anything you like. And the joy of language, of slangs, is that it brings into our vocabulary all sorts of new and fun and different phrases. And some of them are more irritated than others. You know, <laughs> in it is not that brill, um, wicked, uh, and not necessarily um, my favourite words. But, but I, I don't mind it. And I like, in a way... The, the way it changes, the way wicked, for example, once upon a time meant wicked. Um, of course, now it means something good, I think, doesn't it? Or cool. Uh, cool. Now it means hot. Mm. What does it mean, cool? Well, it depends on I don't the know. context. Um, you know. Sick. I love sick. I love, I love sick. sick as used by young people. Abs absolutely. As I say to my wife when I meet her in the morning, bae, you is one cool, sick, mean bitch. <laughs> what, what happens then, Giles? Uh, what does she say in return? <laughs> I'm afraid she calls up one friend. So when is slang acceptable? Do we all use it all the time? Do you have a place where you would go? I mean, obviously not at a few. I think, it's, I, I think it, as, a, as a teacher as well, I think it's really useful. I think it's, we were talking about um, emojis at the start of this series as well. And I think that these are ways that young people can play with language and muck about with language. I do find that increasingly our curriculum 
removes any opportunity for young people to play with language anymore. Yeah. Poetry's been removed. Mm. It's actually one of the, the easiest ways for young people to, to, to muck about with words and play with them again. Um, and I think in a way, I'm not surprised that we've got things going from text speak we've got to, to emojis to, to kind, of, kind of slang. These are, these are ways that kind of particularly young people can play with words and muck about with language. It's and tricky, feel, isn't it? Because we, we're so quick and keen to remind them and impose the rules of the language without giving them the space to be able to... Yeah, I mean, play. that's why I started battling. I, I think you get to a point where you think... I do think, certainly my generation, I think, has kind of done a disservice to, to the younger generation. And I think at some point we have to acknowledge the creativity and the exciting things that young people are doing with language and trying to, um, trying to bridge that and, 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 and go over and see what they're, they're doing. I think it's great that you've got this in the book, that you're kind of mucking about with all these kind of words and phrases. And what's been fun for me is going back as well as going forward. I mean, funny, new, yeah. funny things. I mean, I had, bimbo. I had, um, originally, like, was like... A positive term. It's a compliment. A compliment, and then it transformed into negative yeah. as well. I don't think a Croydon facelift has ever been a compliment. <laughs> um, but uh, you but know, it's correct. fun to discover these things. But daffer down dilly, which is a bit of Cockney rhyming slang for silly, I, I, I'd forgotten it. I mean, I, I, my parents used the phrase daffer down dilly. It, Wherever you go, slang is actually rather rich. It's it's fun, and I think it's descriptive. Isn't it's it, descriptive. Actually. We should increase and, and use our language more generously than we do. And regionally specific and temporally specific. Mm. I have a huge weakness for old American slang, which I find utterly Groovy. charming. Oh my god, it's so cute though. But what it like? is. It's Give great. us an example. What do you like? I would like anything that's in Chandler, for example. <laughs> Anytime anyone is, is euphemizing along the Chandler lines, I'm always delighted. I think it's incredibly cool. Or I always think you get a lot of Southern slang, like um, hillbilly or um, things, things like that are kind of descriptive or trying to give people a tribe. But hillbilly has, has been... Sort of resurrected. Right, because mm. for a while it was seen as a genuine slur. Yes, it someone did. Told it was also redneck. Someone told me last yeah. week that Barack Obama is Cockney rhyming slang for pyjamas now. Oh, really? Like, I don't even understand the world. You don't understand the world. None of us understands the world. But wouldn't that be amazing if a thousand years from now, the only, the only trace of Barack Obama is in a dictionary where you look up Barack Obama and it says, old phrase meaning pyjama. That's it. That's it. Nobody will know who he was. But they will still have pyjamas. Yeah. And Trump is still world. It's bizarre we mentioned in Battle Rap over the last kind of... About two years ago, there was like a, all around the world, people started coming up with the same rhyming um, insult because the, this huge battle of cannabis had had this match and he'd been awful. It'd been, it'd been terrible. He brought a notepad and started reading off the pad because it was so bad. And it was, it was considered one of the biggest disasters uh, in battle, which is interesting because that was the name of his opponent. But it was so bad. And his first line was, um, those look like Tom Cruise's mom's shoes. Is. Yeah, that was his first line of the battle. And it was so, and people been waiting for this battle for 10 years. He used to be amazing. Oh. And he came back and did that. So all around the world, people started making parodies of this opening line. And you would open your battles. And mine, mine was those like Barack Obama's granddad's pajamas. So you're the man responsible. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe Taylor Swift will pick it up next. And we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's awful but, when you're trying to be clever and there's a slip of the tongue. The first job I ever had, a long time, before, in fact, any of you people were born. Uh, and it's true. I was uh, appearing on radio. I just left university and I was trying out uh, to be a young actor. And I had a job, uh, live radio in those days, afternoon Saturday afternoon theatre, I was playing a young detective and I had one line 
in this drama. I was very nervous, 22. I came up to the microphone, live radio, and I spoke my line. And this is the line that I was given. That was the chair Schmidt sat in when he was shot. It didn't come out quite right. <laughs> so I feel for your friend in his bad rap contest. <laughs> I'll pass it on to Cannabis. I think he'll... he'll... Is that what he's called? He's called Cannabis. Cannabis. Yeah. cannabis. Say cannabis. hi. Say hi to Cannabis. <laughs> My goodness. Of course, he's a, it's a rap. It's a rap. I've got it. A rap. A rap. Anyway. Uh, speaking... You made a real speaking, hash of that. Spe oh, very good. I was in Shrewsbury recently. Shrewsbury. This is what I... Exactly. Is it Shrewsbury? Is it Shrewsbury? Depends on the schedule. What I, well, actually, it depends on the pub. Uh, I, I don't do drugs at all. I never have. It's I a mystery to me, Giles, I know, but I know it to I, be true. <laughs> I'm naturally on a high whenever I'm with you, but I have never taken any intoxication of any kind. But because I tour in the theatre, I know, I go to, anyway, I know pub, and I discover that in Shrewsbury, some people call it Shrewsbury, some people call it Shrewsbury, um, but if you want cheaper drugs, you say you're, you're from Shrewsbury. If you, and, and if you say you're from Shrewsbury, the rap goes up by about 20%. Shrewsbury is a shibboleth. Yeah. What does shibboleth mean? Well, uh, it's a, an indicator of whether you are from the territory or not. A tribal marker. Hmm. A shibboleth is a tribal marker. And we're back to basically saying what, this, what these podcasts are about is celebrating the language. And the reason I stop you on shibboleth is I'm a great believer in, when you hear a new word like shibboleth, actually trying to find out all about it. So I said, it's my word for the day. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to Google it. Um, and I'm going to try and spell it. And I'm going to try and slip it into my conversation. Casually. Cash. Uh, <laughs> and it's fun to do that. And I think we have this immensely rich language. And we should celebrate it, pick up slang, use old words, use new words. Just try and have fun with our language. And not be frightened of doing so. Uh, and I think maybe we should all be kinder and more generous. And I think one of the things I learned when doing this book, I began listening to other people, particularly listening to young people. I was about to say, why start now? But it just seems so ungenerous. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, actually, I want to celebrate language. I want to set out the rules. Here they are. If you want to know how to spell the traditional way, if you want to know about grammar, if you want to know where the apostrophe should go, you can get, have you eaten grandma? But also, I wanted to put in it that the language we have is how we communicate with one another. It's how we do everything. It's how we convey our energy and ourselves to the world. And I thought to myself, this is all in English. And then somebody told me, do you know, English is now more spoken by people who are not speaking English as their first language. It actually belongs to the world now. Most of the people who speak English in this world, it's their second language. So we don't own it. We've given it to the world, and we should accept what the world gives us back and simply celebrate being allowed to speak the richest language the world has ever known. Oh, Giles. I'm afraid that's all we have time for, so it was nice to end on a high. Uh, I would like to thank my lovely guests, who are Jill Taylor, Ben Crystal, Mark Grist, and, of course, everyone's all-time favourite, the gorgeous Mr Giles Brandreth. I've been Leslie Haynes. <laughs> For more linguistic larks and light-hearted pedantry, you can find my book, Have You Eaten Grandma, in hardback, audio and ebook, available now.